Well, good morning, Coastal. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing all right? Awesome, awesome. Hey, my name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us today. Uh, we just saw a, a great video from the Duarte family. I don't, I don't know about you, but uh, I probably need some, some more of whatever Max has got. Uh, you know, what a great testimony of, of what water baptism signifies in your life and how it can change your life and, uh, you know, just greatly promotes our water baptism family fun day we're going to have this afternoon. If, if you've never been water baptized, apparently after you get baptized, you start telling people about Jesus, they get saved, you buy them Bibles. It's awesome. And so, uh, like, I need some more of that in my life. But I love, the thing that I love about their story is, is they're, like, so many people, uh, like myself, they move here and they don't know anybody. And uh, I don't know if you've ever moved somewhere and you don't know anybody, but trying to find community and trying to find relationships in a place you can call home is a difficult thing. And one of the, the missions of our church is we want to be coastal community church. Like we think it's important that we're a family, that we uh, know people's names and know their stories and what's going on in their lives so we can help them be all that God has called them to be. And what a great opportunity for us as a church as we're getting ready to uh, build this Parkland facility for our Coconut Creek campus. In case you're wondering, we're, we're, we're one church in multiple locations, and we have a campus in Coconut Creek that's getting ready to build a permanent facility in Parkland, and uh, we've called this our immeasurably more uh, uh, project, building project. And so we're excited about our future, just like the way that we create spaces here in Pompano Beach. We want to do the same thing there for the, the next Duarte family that's not only going to come here, but going to come out there. And so what we've been talking to you guys about over the last couple of weeks is our immeasurably more miracle offering that's next weekend. July 16th, and, and we've been handing you some information and some envelopes over the last couple of weeks, and we, we've asked you one question, and that's, or we've asked you to do one thing, and that's this. We've asked you to take some time and pray, and pray and ask God, God, how would you want me to be a part of creating a place for other people? Just like we've created a place for you here, we want to create a place for future people to come in so they can experience the love, the hope, and the relationship that Jesus can give in a profound and dynamic way. And so next weekend, uh, our prayer is, is that you would pray and that you would just be obedient to whatever God speaks to you. And really, if you want to understand the heart of, of our church, there's no better way to do that than to go back and listen to last week's message uh, that Shayla spoke. If, if you missed last week, you missed out on like probably one of the most powerful messages that's ever been spoken at Coastal. In fact, I was at this campus and I cried in both services and I don't believe in crying. Like, I think it's, it, like, it's okay for women. It's not okay for TJ. And so, like, but I was, I was crying, sitting right there uh, in multiple services, based, just the explanation of why we're doing this. Everybody thinks it's, oh, man, we're going to build a building. Building's just a tool. What it's all about is it's about people like the Duartes and their story and their son, Max, who came to know Jesus, and their daughter, Olivia, who came to know Jesus, who are going to grow up in a church environment, where they're going to be taught the principles of love and, and grace and mercy and how God can use them from the age they are right there through the rest of their life. And I want every child, I want every family, I want every person to have that same experience. And I believe God does too. And the amazing thing is he invites us to be a part of making that happen. What, a, what an amazing, amazing privilege. So I would encourage you to go back, listen to that message. It's way better than what I just said. So uh, anyways, everybody say today. Okay, now everybody say today. Today we are diving into 
Hustle and Flow. We've been in this series over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to be looking at James chapter 3. If you want to turn your Bibles to James chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible, you can look in your worship guide. Uh, all the notes will be up there also on the screen. But we've been studying over the last month or so the book of James, and we've been going verse by verse and learning about hustle and flow. And the reason we call this series Hustle and Flow is because the book of James is written by the half-brother of Jesus, and it's all about our active and our expressive faith. So it's about what we do with our life, our hustle, and also what we say in life, our flow. And so we've been focusing a lot on our hustle in life over the last couple of weeks, the things that we're doing in life, and what does that look like when it applies and, and comes to our faith. And today we're going to be diving in and looking more at the words that we're speaking and what does that look like and what is the impact of those things. And so we're looking at James chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 2 today. It says this, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a liar. Oh, uh, no, it doesn't say that. It says he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. Now, James is, is pointing out a pretty good point here that we all stumble in life. We also have some areas that are a bigger stumbling block than, than other areas. But one area in particular, he says all of us have trouble with. It's the area of our tongue. It's the area of our mouth. It's the area of our words. And he says, like, listen, all of us have trouble when it comes to our tongue. And sometimes we speak words that, that when we say them, we, we're tripping all over them because that isn't really what we want to say or meant to say or, or it came out wrong. And all of a sudden, we're stumbling over those things, trying to pick up the pieces of what just came out of, from inside of us. And so James is saying, this is an area that we all struggle with, myself included, you're included in it. And if you think about your life, you'll know that words have some very, very powerful elements to them. Think about your life and the fact that some of your uh, most regretful moments of life have been words that you've spoken in conversation to other people. You've said some things to some people that you're like, man, I regretted that. That ruined a relationship or it destroyed, it destroyed a job opportunity because of some things that I said. Maybe some of that regret has been some words that have been said to you that have defined and refined your life and kind of driven you to some places because of some other people's thoughts and words that they gave to you. On the flip side of that, words are extremely powerful. Some of the most impactful moments in our life have been followed by some words, like words like, I love you, or will you marry me, or I'm pregnant, or I'm pregnant again. That also might actually be some of your worst moments. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but words have some power. As I was researching this week, the, the average American engages in about 30 conversations a day. If you were to take those 30 conversations over the period of year and you were to write them in novel form, uh, each novel would consist of about 800 pages. You would end up with 66 800-page novels at the end of your year just by the words that you speak in conversation throughout your day. Now think about those novels. If you were to pick them up and you were to read them, would, would you be proud of all the words that were said? Would you be excited about the moments that you spoke? Would you want other people to read the words that you spoke? Would you be proud of what was written in those novels? 
I mean, would you even want somebody else to read those? And James here is diving into something that impacts every single one of us. And he's talking about our tongue and and how reckless words can be so detrimental in life. And there, I, I have three analogies that James kind of gives us here out of this first couple of verses. And, and we're going to talk about uh, the, the impact of our words on the front end of this message and on the back end. We're, I want to give you some practical application because uh, the practical aspect is so important to us here. How do we have this? And so if you're taking notes today, James describes our words as petite but yet powerful. He says, like, listen, our words and our tongue, it's, it's a small element of our life. Like, the tongue is not the biggest uh, part of our body. In fact, our, the average tongue only weighs 3.1 ounces of mucous membrane and muscle. Like, it's not the, most, the biggest thing in our body. In fact, some of us, like, our tongue is probably one of the smallest elements of our body, but yet it has so much impact on our life, doesn't it? has way more impact than, than, say, than, say, your bicep for a lot of you or your thigh. In fact, in doing some research, comes to find out that there's two muscles in your body that never wear out. One of them is your heart until you die, is your heart. The other one is your tongue. Think about that. When's the last time you were like, whoo, man, my tongue is wore out. I just got, I was talking too much today. That's like never happened because you know you can talk all day long. You're like the energizer bunny of talking. It can just flow out of you. Some of you might not like talking, but you can talk. And so we've got to realize that, man, there, this is a small but yet powerful element in, your, in our life. And, and just think about that. Think about that for a second. There's only two things that don't wear out, our heart and our tongue. Maybe there's some correlation there between those two. In fact, the Bible actually says to us, out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouth speaks. And so James is pointing this out. He's saying, man, the mouth is powerful. It's small. And with it, you can, you can love people. You can encourage people. You can build people up. But on the flip side of that, you can also destroy people. You can damage relationships with your tongue. You can maim Extremely powerful. In fact, in verse 3, he says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. And take ships as an example. As, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. And so James kind of throws out two analogies. He says, listen, horses naturally are wild. Like their natural inclination is to be untamed. But yet you put a bit in their mouth, all of a sudden, it can be controlled to some level and degree. Same thing with a ship. You go out to some of the, this area out here, the uh, Miracle Mile kind of out here in Pompano Beach, and you're going to see some large ships. But those large ships are controlled by a very, very small element called a rudder. Well, the same thing is true in our life. While we might have some big personalities and some big egos and some big aspects of our life, we have this small tr tongue that controls so much of our life, and we forget that our words have power. In fact, the Bible tells us that the power of life and death is in our tongue, which means that our while our tongue is small, it has some huge implications in our life. In fact, it tells us that our words can actually frame our world. It can set us up for failure or success based on how we speak. 
In fact, we can speak things as, as into life based on our conversation. Like you can breathe hope into somebody else's life just by the words you say in that conversation, or you can speak defeat into, your, into their life just by your conversation. And some of you know exactly what that's like because you've had people that you were pumped up about something. They so discouraged you in one conversation that you never stepped out and did that thing. Why? Because our tongue is petite, but yet powerful. James also describes it as is it, it can be curt, yet consuming. And we live in a society where people are, are very, very curt today. They're very abrupt they're very quick. They're very rude. They're, they'll just spout off on the top of their head whatever's going to, in their mind. And they think, oh, it's not a big deal. I can just say whatever I want because it's so easily and quickly forgotten. But if you're a married man in here, you know that that is not true. Because if you are a married man, you know that your wife has got an incredible memory. She can remember everything you said. She remembers back 17 years ago when you were eating lunch on October 2nd at 12.01 p.m. eating your bologna sandwich when you said this, and she reminds you of it every time you say it again. Doesn't she? Why? Because our words can be consuming. And what you think is a meaningless statement, what you think is just an abrupt, quick, kind of off the top of your head thing, can actually consume somebody else's life. And it can define their life and it can refine their life. In fact, James describes it like this in verse 5. He says, likewise, a tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by here, by hell. And you think about some comments that have happened in your life. They have defined your life. They have consumed your life. You remember as a child when your parents said, you'll amount to nothing. And you've let that define you. And it's consumed you. And because they said you were a loser, you thought of yourself as a loser for the rest of your life. Or you were in that relationship where they rejected you based on some superficial thing, a look that you had, and you've been trying to change that look your entire life, and every decision you've made has been framed around that thought that they gave you that has consumed your life. And you haven't been able to forget it. Why? Because our words are can be curt, but they can also be very consuming. See, people don't realize it, but a lot of people are verbal arsonists. They just flippantly throw a little spark out there, but they have no idea the implications of that spark, like the scripture says, can start a fire and consume that whole forest. We have no idea the implications of our words in people's lives. Parents, you have no idea the impact that your words to your children right now are having in their future 20 years from now. Husbands, you have no idea what kind of impact your words are having on your wife in this moment. We've got to understand that our words are powerful. 
This small spark can create a world of hurt. I learned this as a, as a kid. I, I loved playing with fire uh, and knives. I don't know what it was. Between the ages of like three and six, I was obsessed with knives and fire. I, I think that like there was maybe a serial killer aspect in me or something. I don't know. I don't really know what the problem was. But I remember I, I was, my parents were constantly taking away any matches or lighters or knives that I could get my hand. Like you know, most parents don't want their four or five-year-old with knives and lighters. Okay. Uh, but I got a hold of a lighter uh, one afternoon and I remember I was home with my dad and I, I went in the bathroom to play with the fire. And I thought, to my, I'm just going to sit in the bathroom. I locked the door. I was playing with the, the lighter. And I decided, like, well, this is cool. I like the smell of fire or whatever. And, and I thought to myself, well, you know what? I'm going to light some toilet paper on fire. So I rolled some toilet paper down. And, and I lit it on fire. And it started, you know, it, it had kind of a slow burn happening. And that was pretty cool because it made some cool smoke. But all of a sudden, it hit, like, the entire roll and just kind of went up in flames. Uh, and, and that was bad because I'm like four or five years old and I'm trying to figure out how to get this fire out that is consuming the toilet paper roll. The only problem was is the toilet paper roll was connected to the vanity that was made of wood. And so all of a sudden the vanity gets, starts burning and starts getting on fire. And, and I think to myself, water puts fires out. And so I turn the sink on only to realize the sink is porcelain and fire doesn't burn sink. And I'm stuck. And so there's smoke billowing out of there and underneath the door. And my dad sees the smoke, kicks in the door, finally gets the fire out. And he was like, what in the world were you doing? And I was like, I was just playing with some fire. Like what I thought was so innocent as a kid ended up causing so much damage. And what we think is so innocent with our words end up consuming people and causing a lot of damage. And so we've got to recognize that, man, our, our words are powerful. And they can be curt but consuming. And also they can be petty but yet poisonous. We fail to realize that the words that we're speaking can have some deadly impacts in people's lives. Verse 7a, it said, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He says, man, listen, none of us can tame our tongue. In fact, it is a, it's like a deadly viper in life. Man, it is full of vile. It's full of hate. It's full of all kinds of things. And some of us, we are verbal vipers in life. We're constantly just lurking for opportunities to kind of strike out and bite other people. And we do it through, through some different means like gossip. Oh, have you heard? Did you hear about Susie? Can you believe she did that? Don't tell anybody. Shh. What does a snake do? Shh. Right? A verbal viper. Or the critical person comes into your life and is critical of everything and every conversation they're in, they're like, oh, I'm just, I'm just playing the devil's advocate for you. Listen, the devil don't need no more advocates. He's got a world full of them. He needs some people that believe in people. Don't be the devil's advocate. Don't be critical. Or how about the, the person that is the, the joker, you know, that's always making jokes at somebody else's expense. Verbal assassin. 
so James says, listen, you, we, we've got to recognize that, that, that while they, our words might be small, they're also powerful. And while they might be curt, they can also be consuming. And while it might seem petty and unimportant, it can be deadly and poisonous to people's lives. So, so how do we learn how to tame our tongue? How do we get this uh, tamed, even though the Bible tells us that there is no way that a man can tame it? Like, what is our possibility? And so we've got to recognize that, that James is going to kind of point to something that's going to give us the source of where we got to start at. And so in verse 9, he says this, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. He goes, listen, guys, like we're, we're kind of two-faced when it comes to our words and our actions. Like we got to realize that, that we can't have both sides coming out of our lives. There's got to be something different about us if we're following Christ. He says, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or can a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. He says, listen, there's no way you can tame your tongue, but you got to realize that there is a source that's coming up from, for your tongue. Your tongue is being sourced from somewhere else, and we've got to get to the source, and we've got to get to the root of the issue. And so I was thinking this week, and I was like, man, God, how do I give practical application to this? Because this is something I struggle with. This is something that I know many people struggle with. Like, practically, what do you want to speak to people's lives? What can, can I instill wisdom through you to them with? And as I was praying this week, God gave me three words for you guys. And they all start with the same letter, uh, like a lot of my sermons do. And the reason that is, is because I'm just freaking awesome, okay? Uh, I'm just kidding. It's not that. I think the reason God gives me words that start with the same letter is so that I can actually remember them. And my hope is, is that you will remember them too. And so practically, how do we learn how to not tame our tongue because it's impossible? In fact, James 1.26 says that we can't tame the tongue. What he says we can't do is we can't bridle the tongue. Only God can tame our tongue, but we can bridle it. So how do we do that? What does that look like for us? How do we set it up so that God can tame it while we bridle it? And three words that God gave me. Number one, the first one is this, is we have got to pause. 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 In fact, James 1.19 says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Have you ever noticed that a person that typically has an anger problem also has a speaking problem? You want to know why? Because James tells us right here. Because a lot of us, we get in trouble, we start talking too fast in life. And what happens is the conversation starts, and because we want to get our words heard, we get louder and louder, and all of a sudden, the conversation starts to elevate because we're talking over the other person. we got to talk louder and louder and louder and louder. Now y'all are awake. But that isn't what James says here. He says we are to be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to get angry. Well, you want to know the best way to do that is when you get in the middle of a conversation, you know what you need to do? You need to pause. Because the only way you can listen is if you shut your mouth. In fact, I had a, I had a friend that was, we were talking uh, uh, about our, our mouths because I've had a lot of trouble with my mouth. Uh, 
and, uh, is, and it's got me in a lot of trouble in life. And, and we were talking one day, and he's like, man, God spoke to me one day, and God gave me a word. And I was like, oh, really? What was that? And he said, God said, wait, W-A-I-T. And I was like, well, well what does that mean? He's like, I, I didn't really know either. So I started asking God, God, what are you trying to say to me when it, when it comes to my words? And, and God said, wait, it's an acronym. It means, why am I talking? Every time you get in a conversation, I want you to wait. I want you to ask yourself the question, why am I talking right now? If I'm to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, why am I talking right now? What do I need to learn in this conversation so that I can talk at some point? So what that means for me is I need to take a step back and I need to pause. Because if the power of life and death is in my tongue, then I need to take a step back and listen before I ever speak. In fact, Proverbs 21, 23 says, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. I don't know if you've ever realized that, but if you'll guard your heart and you'll guard your mouth, you can keep your soul from trouble. You want to know how your soul gets in trouble is when you talk. You think I'm joking. It's funny, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is, but it jacks us up. Our words get us in way more trouble than our actions do. Another verse, Proverbs 10, 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Basically, it says if you're a talker, you're a sinner. Teenagers? Just kidding. You're like, but I text. Okay, whatever. Uh, it says, but he who restrains his lips is wise. See, my responsibility is to guard and to restrain my lips, and God's responsibility is to tame my speech. Some of us, we've had a hard time restraining our lips. In fact, you're like, man, I don't even know how to restrain my lips. I just, I just blurt things out. Well, here's a really easy way. When you're in the middle of a conversation, you want to talk, just... You're like, that looks foolish. No, what's coming out of your mouth is foolish. Like, my dad used to tell me when I was a kid, listen, TJ, you need to shut up so people don't think you're stupid. When you talk, you're just revealing the truth to them, you know? And so I, I learned a lesson there. It's, it's better to be quiet. The reality is, is what God is saying to some of us, as Shayla put it last week, in the sweetest way. God is saying, in the sweetest way, beautiful awesome coastal community church shut up well that's harsh no i i think it's it's actually kind of awesome that god would be that up front with us that god would say man your 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 mouth is the biggest hindrance to your life and if you would just take a moment to pause in life Maybe you would give me the opportunity to do something in your life. And so first, we got to pause. Number two, we need to ponder. Ponder. I don't know about you, but maybe you've said this before. But I've said so many times, man, I wish I would have thought about that before I said it. 
don't know how many conversations I've been in that I've been like, man, I wish I would have thought about that before I just let that rip. And I've learned that there's three types of people in this world. There's, there's people that talk, then they think. There's people who talk while they think. And then there's people who think, then they talk. Technically, there's four people. People who never think. <laughs> so hopefully you're not one of them. If you are, there's some prayer down here at the end. We'll try to help you. But I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of person that, that isn't just talking and then going back and going, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that, or, or verbal processing and, and saying hurtful things not meaning to because I'm trying to figure it out. I want to be the person that thinks first and then has a conversation. And while I'm pondering, I want to, want to ask myself questions like, what should I say right now? Is this the right time to say that? Is what I'm about to say helpful or is it hurtful? Is this adding value to the conversation? Is this the right time? Is this the right place? Is this the right opportunity? See, you can't do all that and be talking at the same time. you got to take a step back to process that so you can understand. And so we need to be able to pause and take a step back and ponder. Take some time to think. Now, here's what's interesting about thinking that, that I just learned from God's Word this week. I love God's Word, man. There's so much in there uh, that I haven't even figured out. But, but I realized that God actually says that we think in two different places in life. We think in our minds, which is where most of us think about when we think. But we also think in our hearts. Like, some of you are like, man, we don't think in our hearts, we think in our minds. No, no, no. The Bible very clearly says we think in our hearts. In fact, if you were to look at Proverbs 23, 7, it says, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. Why would it say think in his heart if we don't really think in our hearts? Or how about Luke 2, 19, it says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Or one of the most famous scriptures, one of my favorites, Hebrews 4, 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces even in dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So the Bible is very clear that we don't only think in our minds, but we also think in our hearts. And medical science actually believes this as well. In fact, in a lot of heart transplant patients, as they've done studies, they found that the, the heart that's trans, transferred from one body to the X actually starts to give people their new hosts thoughts. In fact, there's one woman named Claire that she received a heart uh, from an 18-year-old donor, and after she received her heart, she started having these thoughts and these cravings for, for, for beer. She had never drank before in her life. She didn't do it in life, and all of a sudden she's craving beer. She was craving uh, eating chicken nuggets and green peppers. And, and, and she kept having reoccurring dreams about a guy named Tim L. And as she started researching uh, people who had died, she found out that this person from Maine, where she'd gotten her heart from, name in the obituaries was Tim L. She contacted the family, found out that that was the heart that she had received. And as she got with the family, found out that Tim loved to drink beer, ate chicken nuggets almost every single day, and loved to eat green peppers. Crazy. Another one was a, a 47-year-old white male uh, was given a heart of a 17-year-old black male. And uh, all of a sudden, after this heart transplant, he had been a rock and roll fanatic. 
uh, from the early 80s. He loved 80s rock, and all of a sudden, he started having this, this admiration for classical music. He kept wanting to listen to classical music, and he thought to himself, surely this can't be from my heart because he's stereotyping, and thought to himself, a 17-year-old black male definitely likes rap music. And as he started researching and found the family, the donor family came to find out that this 17-year-old was in love with classical music, listened to it all the time. In fact, when he died, he died holding on to his violin. But here's, here's the best one. Uh, an 8-year-old girl uh, received a heart of a 10-year-old girl who was murdered. And uh, after she received this heart, she started having vivid dreams about the murder of a young child. And she started describing to her mom in detail about this murder, freaked her mom out. Her mom took her to a psychiatrist who realized that she was having uh, visions from the girl that was murdered that was the heart transplant, took her to the police. She was able to describe the scene of the crime, how the murder happened, do a picture of the guy that murdered the child, and they were able to use that to convict and arrest that man and put him in prison. It's amazing how God has designed our lives. And the reason we have to pause and the reason we have got to ponder is to think about it not just so our minds can get to it, but so our heart can. Because I don't know about you, but have you ever said, well, that just kind of came off the top of my head? Wouldn't it be better if what we said came from the bottom of our heart? It's why we get in a conversation, we'll say something, we'll be like, oh, that's not what I meant. That's not what's in my heart. And you're right, it's not what's in your heart. But what you spoke from was from your head. You didn't give your heart a chance to catch up to it. And see, here's the amazing thing is that when we accept Jesus as our Savior, what he promises to do is to give us a new heart. And so what he does is he gives us a heart transplant into our lives. And so after we accept Christ, we have a new heart. The problem is, is we still have an old mind. And what God is trying to do is he's trying to continuously renew our mind. And what we need to do is we need to allow time for our converted hearts to catch up with our renewing mind so the right words can come out of it. And the reason we need to pause and the reason... We need to ponder what we're saying is because our words carry weight in this world. We just talked about how they're powerful and how they're consuming and how they can be poisonous, but they could also be life-giving and they can be helpful and they can be hope-filled. So one of the things that I, that I absolutely love and admire about Shayla is Shayla goes into every single conversation and, and she pauses and she ponders and she thinks about the weight of her words. And she'll play out a conversation over and over again in her mind and go, what's the best way to say this? How should I say that? How can I make sure that there's grace and mercy and love in this conversation? I don't want to be curt and I don't want to be hurtful. I want to be helpful. And I think that one of the reasons she's so effective in conversation and in, in, in those situations is because of number three, prayer. She understands that she has to pause and she has to ponder, but what is the source of her tongue being tamed is, is prayer. And I think that that's what God, God is getting to. He's, he's going, it's getting to the connection that's the most important part. And so there's a verse in Isaiah chapter 6 that I think is very, very relevant to our conversation today. And uh, it says this in Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, it was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. 
He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim. And uh, that's basically the plural of angels. Seraph uh, is an angel, and so this is the plural of angels. So basically he's saying, man, God's sitting on a throne, and there's a whole bunch of angels around. It says, each having six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And, and you've probably heard those words before. We sing those kind of words a lot in songs. It says, their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. So that right there tells me that you better get used to haze. If you don't like the smoke and worship, you're going to hate heaven, okay? Just letting you know that right now, because God's glory is going to fill it up. And I want you to notice something as we get ready to read this. As Isaiah has an encounter with God, notice the first area of his life that he's convicted of. It says, then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. So he says, man, I'm doomed because, man, the tongue is killing me. He says, yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar and with a pair of tongs that he touched my lips and with it and said, this is the coal that has touched your lips. So he touches his lips. Notice where, where the progression starts. It touches his lips. It says, now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to the people? Who will go for us? Us implying the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all there, right there talking to Isaiah. He said, here am I. Send me. Notice he didn't say, here am I, send me, until he had an encounter with God. Isaiah goes before God and he, he encounters a holy God. And the first thing he recognizes is that his life isn't right. And particularly, his life isn't right because of his tongue. He says, I'm, I'm filthy lips and I live amongst the people with filthy lips. And you start thinking about the context of the world we live in today and how vulgar and how abusive and how disgusting our speech has become today. And basically, Isaiah goes, God, man, I can't control this area of my life. I need your help. And here's what I get out of this. I need the same kind of encounter every day with God. I don't need to just go and just say some prayers and read some verses. I need to have an encounter with a holy God where I see God and I, I recognize the, the parts of me that aren't there yet. And I go, God, man, I need you to forgive me. I need you to cleanse me. And as I, I submit myself and I surrender myself to God, all of a sudden God can come down and he can, he can tame my tongue. And after he's tamed my tongue, I can go out and help some other people with their tongue. And I get all fired up about this because I tell some of my story at church, but I don't normally tell all of my story. Many of you know that I, I, I've come from a broken home. My parents got divorced at an early age and grew up in bars and drugs and all these things were pre prevalent in my life. And Because of the divorce at an early age, I always felt like there was this rejection that was in my life and every time something would happen a little bit more rejection would take place and 
And to make up for the feelings of inadequacy that I had in my life, I developed a lot of pride. Because pride could hide my hurt. Pride could hide my innermost pain and the, the way that I would go into every conversation because I had so much hurt in my life as, as I would just hurt other people. I'd make them look bad so I would feel better about myself. And the more rejection I faced in life, the sharper my edge got. And I remember I, at one point I gave my life to Christ as my Savior. And started trying to follow God and trying to do it His way. And was working as hard as I could to control the words that I would say and how I interacted with people and, and all those things. But yet in every conversation I would have, I would end up hurting people because your past isn't your past if it's still impacting your present. As much as you want to say that's that's dead and gone, man, it was still right there in every conversation. I remember I got to this point. I was in a meeting with some staff as I was working at a, at a church, and at the end of the meeting, uh, the pastor stayed behind me. He says, TJ, do you realize what happened? I was like, no. He's like, man, you just offended everybody in this room. Like the way you addressed people, the way you spoke to them was unacceptable. And I remember walking out of that room feeling even more rejection. I remember got, getting home that day and before Shayla got home and being on my knees in our bedroom and going, God, like I've given you my heart. Like I've accepted you as my Savior. Why can't I overcome that? I don't even feel like I'm saved right now. Like, I can't overcome this no matter how hard I try. I cannot win this area of my life. And I remember, like, God spoke to me. and He, he goes, yeah, you've accepted me as your Savior, but you've never surrendered to me as your Lord. See, you keep trying to control that area of your life and you keep trying to understand that area of your life and you try to keep that to yourself. Because you've been taught all of your life that the way to victory is to win the battle. And that's how it works in the natural realm. But in the spiritual realm, the way to victory is through surrender. The way to freedom is through giving it all up. And it's awesome that I'm your Savior, but when am I going to become your Lord, TJ? When are you going to surrender your life to me with every single part of it, including this? And stop trying to do it on your own. And I remember that day going, God, I surrender. Like, I don't want to do this on my own. I've, I've tried and I've failed and I've failed and I've failed and I've tried. And today I surrender. And it's not that I don't ever fail today because I do. but I don't have to tame my tongue. That's God's job as I surrender to Him. I just need to pause. I need to ponder. And I need to pray. And I really believe that the Lord spoke to me today in this week and said, you know what, there's some people in here that they've been battling. Maybe it's not their tongue. Maybe it's some other area of their life. Maybe it's an addiction. 
Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's some sort of sin in their life and they've tried to overcome it on their own power. And they don't even, they, maybe they felt like you where they don't even feel like they're saved. They've accepted me as their savior, but they have yet to make me Lord through surrender. And I believe that God wants to set some people free here today. But it starts with us surrendering to him. starts with us going, God, I, I can't do this, man. I, I, I give this all to you. This isn't my burden to carry. This isn't my battle to win. This is The battle is the Lord's. In fact, the scripture tells us the horse is prepared for battle, but victory is God's. I can do all the preparation. I can pause. I can ponder. I can pray, but you have got to be victorious in this. And honestly, I don't think that there's a more beautiful and more profound way to surrender to God than, than baptism. Where you say before God and before others that you say, man, my old life, my old way of doing things, because our old way of doing things is I've got to do it all, is dead. And we bury that in the water. And that new heart that God comes out, puts in us, comes out as we rise out as a new man renewing our mind, trusting that as we pause and as we ponder and as we pray that God will do 